Hey, Luke, how are you? Hi. I don't want to live in a world without Bob Saget. How absolutely horrible was that? Oh, hor- just uh, 2022 is like, <laughs> first, well, actually, first 2021 takes Norm MacDonald. Then 2022 takes Bob Saget. Ugh. We can only hope 2023 takes you. You know, it's funny, like, um, Bob Saget's kind of one of, like, it's one of the reasons why I love podcasts, and I think you can put up YouTube and other things into this. I feel like Bob Saget's one of those guys who, um, so yeah, you know, he's got the full house, he does the American Funniest Home um, Video things, which if you're our age or maybe a little bit on the younger, you know, that just, you, there's no way that that influenced your life at some, not, and that's a, that's a gross overstatement. You watched it at some point in time. It's ingrained in your childhood brain. <laughs> There's no way America's Funniest Home Videos didn't change your life. And by change your life, I mean you enjoyed it on a good Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think it was a Sunday night show. And yeah, then, uh, but, you know, then he does the whole, he makes, he's got the cameo in Half-Baked where he does the dirty um, comedy stuff, which is just like, I hate to say it, hilarious. And then uh, he makes, he makes dirty work. Which is legit. I, I have not watched it in years, but I remember laughing so hard oh, in yeah. high school to that movie. Like, so hard. And then, not much from what I can recall, but I feel like when podcasts start, he shows up on one, he shows up on another one, and you hear him, and you're like, wow, okay, so Bob Saget actually, he's both of these things. He's like America's dad, and he's a dirty old man when he wants to be, but he's more like a... Like he's actually a really good person. Like he just seemed, um, he just seemed like, like a genuine good person who was very, very funny. And I actually saw an interview that he did a couple days ago where he talked about. They made a joke about the old on the. So I'm not. I don't know if you wear this or not, Gomer, but there was a Fuller House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a Fuller House, <laughs> and in ten episodes, house, yeah, it was Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, apparently, it was huge on Netflix with all the kids and the kids being thirty year old women. Uh it they made a joke about the Olsen twins not being on the show. Mm-hmm. And he said he tried to look at the camera and give a little bit of like a wink while he said it or something. He, because he said, I really was upset that they had that joke in there because the Olsen twins are like, he's like, I'm very close with them. Like, we're all very close. And they're just mm-hmm. not acting anymore. Like, that was the thing they did when they were kids. Like, yeah. they were like, you know. Ba- like quite um, literally babies when they started doing that stopped when they were nine and they're just not that they haven't acted they're not acting anything and he's like i didn't like the jokes so i wanted them to know like hey i don't really agree with this or like i really care about you you still and you could tell he was actually like i'm not backing down off of this like they're really good people they're important to me and i and it's important to it, you could tell that he like was like no i actually like really mean this and it was it just kind of struck me as like, uh, you know, I feel like the weird thing about podcasts and this whole age we're in is most people are found out for who they are. And he just seemed to be like a really genuinely good person who, you know, definitely had some jokes that I thought were a bit too far, were a bit much. But a genuinely hit. Did you hear the podcast he recorded after Norm MacDonald died? Yeah, that was hard to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. It was really like it was a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it just, uh, yeah, it's it's a bummer, man.
it's a it's just another weird. There's I don't know. There's been some things going on in my own life and some other stuff that's just been a reminder that like, uh, like death is everywhere, and that like this all ends. With me, Luke, standing over your dead body, <laughs> laughing like a madman, at you Going. still dripping with blood. We never completed the part of our operating agreement about what happens when one of us dies. <laughs> I own it all. <laughs> it belongs Somehow. to me. <laughs> Somehow catching foxes is still going with like six patrons. <laughs> I get now I get four hundred dollars as opposed to two every month. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, what's up? This is Luke. I am just here right now to talk with you guys about something that I'm super super pumped about. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a lot of help from our friend um, Rachel with this. Uh, we've got a merch store. That's right. Catching Foxes has a merch store. So we've got a lot of cool stuff here. I'm going to pull it up right now. Uh, we've got water bottles. We've got T-shirts. Actually, like, they're stainless steel um, uh, water bottles. We've got uh, coffee mugs, T-shirts, water bottles, uh, all sorts of really cool stuff that I hope you guys are able to enjoy. Uh, head on over to catchingfoxes.fm slash merch. Again, that is catchingfoxes.fm slash merch merch you'll see a link there to go to our own merch store uh it's very very cool we have a, like tons of different um, tons of different designs you can pick from probably about uh four or five different colors and there's one uh, i really like the main design kind of a new look that i think really uh, i think um, Rachel did a great job capturing catching fox's spirit but um also there's a deep inside joke shirt um, as well that you can put on tons of other stuff like totes bags or if you've ever wanted to um, have a catching of foxes premium tank top that's there as well so it's there's a lot of good stuff go and check that out again go to go to catchingfoxes.fm slash merch buy your new catching foxes merch today start off 2022 right buy our stuff uh luke uh, so you got any topics for today i actually do i, I do Whoa, Luke, two weeks in a row. No, I got nothing. I didn't do an outline. No, fair enough. about that. Fair enough. <laughs> Someone didn't read the other one. Just kidding. It's fine. Uh, listen, have you, if, like, if, if, uh, actually, I, I don't want to make that joke because I don't want them to go away. So I'm going to let it be. Hmm. 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 Um, so the old Luke is put, giving some stuff to, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm supposed to announce this or not, or if it's that big of a deal. It probably isn't. Uh, we're giving, we're doing some stuff with the uh, F- Franciscan Austria Instagram page, giving them some um, pictures and some memories and tying it back to the show because someone else didn't have time to do this. Apparently, I don't have any pictures from Austria. I lost them all. You did? Yeah. Oh man, man. You know what sucks? There's one p- picture of us from when I was in Austria when you were there that I cannot find. That is the perfect own picture for one reason only. One, because it's us in Austria. Yeah. So two reasons. And the other only. part, yeah, is, well, this is the main reason. We're doing the, a very distinct thing that only you and I understand. Uh, we're going like this in, in oh, the picture. Oh. Was someone else <laughs> in the photo with us? No, no. But, like, it's a thing that we used to, I don't know if you remember, we used to do that. We'd be like, I feel so bad because I know all these people are now listening. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's basically, 
I you could argue like the Raymond Arroyo jokes come out of that old inside yeah. joke between the two of us. <laughs> so <laughs> oh man, college was dark. And it's so funny because it's just we used to have it on our fridge in our house. Yeah. <laughs> and so and it just I was like, if we could put that on there and if I could find a way to make that work, I was like, I don't want to get Simville in the trouble. Oh man, it'd be so funny though. <laughs> so uh anyways, I, I was going through I have all these um pictures of Austria. I'm gonna send them like probably like 40 pictures and say, hey, just use what you want. I'll do a little like something for each one to kind of understand who they are. A lot of them I'm going to tie back into the show, then my thoughts on Austria and, and my time there, because there are ways to like bring it back, and there are different stories that we've told, or things like, oh, this is taken from that night, which is part of, um, which I, I mentioned it on on this episode. So, anyways, I, I, all my Austria pictures are in a box, and in the box I've put, not like a lot of stuff in my life that's happened that's big that I want to remember, but stuff that's like, ah, I don't want to get rid of this. So, there's really like two main parts, like one, like, so I've got like, the thank you card from your wedding that you and Shannon uh, sent to me, the, the Aww, thank you card nice. that Adam had sent to me is in there. Uh, Drizalda never sent me one. Uh, and then, ah, it's fine. Uh, you, you probably did it, probably. I lost it. And like, I'm sure there's other things that like I wish I had in there that I that are that are not there. But um, this thing happened, and when it happened, I don't. I sometimes when like like I get overwhelmed by a thing, it's hard for me to process it and when this happened it was deeply moving it was almost too much to kind of like really take in so i i kept it in this box because i didn't want to get rid of these things and i wanted to like go back to it like over time and i haven't gone back to it as much as i probably as i probably should but when i was the principal of that school after two years a very tumultuous insane two years <laughs> on my last day there the i got i got like a in the mail, I, I think it was in the mail or in my, I don't remember, but I was surprised with a thank you card from each of the school's families. And they all like mm. wrote me a note and they said they, and they, and they had said they, they had all been praying a St. Therese Novena uh, for me. And it was like, Oh, that's cool. I mean, it was so overwhelming. I was just like, I don't know how to process this. Like, you know, and that it was just, and so I was going, I was going back to that. I've, I've gone to maybe like two or three times over the last, it's, you know, it's been almost, it was that was nine years ago now and so it was for me like having a lot of space a whole lot of distance like pretty healing to a certain extent and also just like really grateful and there was uh, this family that had this quote in there that they said i came across this quote um from this is when pope um, benedict oh i'm sorry he had just uh that year he had said you're gone is that okay yeah okay do you want me to turn off my camera no i'm listening okay um, Luke, I, I mean, I was hoping you would notice. I decided to take off my pants, so there's this little <laughs> plastic lid that I closed on my I, camera. Yeah, I was like, "What just happened?" You looked away, and I was like, "Here's my opportunity." My camera's still <laughs> on; it's just blacked out because I closed a little. Hold on, hold on. Uh, Shut there the we door! Go. Shut the door, please. <laughs> pantless, pantless. Yeah, and that's my friend's freaking kid. Oh, it's your friend's kid. Oh my gosh! Speaking of speaking of awkward, my friend's kid just walked in. I am pantsless. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Best part is he was the guy that we interviewed, who's the peeping Thomas. So, <laughs> jokes on me. <laughs> That's so funny. 
So, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So, uh, this family, like, <laughs> how do I, how do I pivot back to this? You don't. So, you don't. You just limp back to it. Yeah. Maybe we go to a better help ad. <laughs> Is there something in your life that's bothering you? <laughs> so this episode of Catching Foxes is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If you are a fan of this podcast, it's odds are it's either A, your job, or B, a breakup. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's true. It's super fast. It's pretty awesome. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. I think this is one of my favorite parts of what BetterHelp offers, because if you're having, so you have like a sex addiction or you're, or you're struggling with, what else do people have addictions to? You know, um, Jeopardy. They've got the right people who can help you with uh, in, in the right areas. And I think that's very, very cool. This service is available for clients worldwide. So all of our UK friends, you guys are good. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. And I know all of our introverts on here love that. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional therapy and love this fact right here. Financial aid is available. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Uh, I love this. It's over at betterhelp.com slash slash reviews. But if you are ready to go, go to betterhelp.com slash foxes. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes and join over 2 million people. That is a lot. I mean, you know, not as many downloads as we have, but still 2 million people is a lot who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Catching Foxes listeners, that's you. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes and get 10% off your first month. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this here episode of Catching Foxes. All right, so I found this note from you know May of May, late May, early June, two thousand thirteen, and in this, this uh, one person said, "I came across this quote from a homily that Pope Benedict gave in April of two thousand and twelve. It's actually on his birthday, and it's um, actually like kind of a prophetic thing that they put this in there. Like mm. I don't know, it's really interesting." So again, this is from Pope. Um, this is from Pope Benedict and a homily he gave on April sixteenth, two thousand twelve. I know that the light of God exists; that He is risen; that His light is stronger than any darkness; that the goodness of God is stronger than any evil in this world, and this helps me to go forward with certainty. From Pope um, Benedict the sixteenth, I've been having a really hard time during this pandemic pandemic i've been hitting at it i've been talking about it a bit i talked to aaron about this i think i've talked to you about this a bit it's been really difficult for me for a lot of different reasons um i've been doing some analysis for our show trying to we're just trying to like make the show better and we want to you know uh we don't want to get stale and um so i was doing some stuff that i learned in grad school trying to apply that and um I was going through all of all of our episodes, and I was basically uh, I was assigning them a certain amount of value based upon a thing, and I I hit I there was a lot of the early ones that I forgot about. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so funny. We are so hilarious, and you get to around 2017, 2018, and I remember all of those episodes, like 
all of them. And then you get to the pandemic, and my mind is like blank. Like, basically, except for the Everly ones and the Harry Potter ones, I don't remember hardly any of them. Like, I have no, I mean, it was, I'm so, I, I almost want to go back and hear them just because I think it'd be like hearing them for the very first time or something. Like, and I, it kind of bummed me out because I was like, God, what has this done? I feel like this whole thing, and I know it's different out in Texas and different places where it's not as overwhelming in terms of like the culture and what's, you know, what's going on. I don't want to get into any of that. I don't even, that's, isn't the point. I don't care. I mean, I, anyways, my, but my point is like, it's been such a rough thing for me for like a lot of reasons because like, you know, my job, I loved what I was doing and then it all just stopped. Yeah. It all just stopped. And it has never, and it never, even if I was still at Glenmere, I probably wouldn't be traveling still, you know? And I love the people that I met. And I had a, I, you know, had a really profound experience w- with the donor who died. And, like, all these things just were really heavy. It was just so much heaviness. And it's continued to be that. And, it, and I, I feel like I have nothing to give to anyone in this show but this. Hmm. Which is that, like, I was barely hanging on for a period of time. I was like, I don't know if I even want to believe in this. And this is getting so, like, like just all of the liturgy wars and the Taylor unmarshalfication of just Catholic culture and the just, like, the bitterness and the arguing and the anger in my own heart against my own friends and, like, people that I care about and people that I don't know. And I was just like... I felt like I could have, if someone had said, Luke, here's like a million dollars, don't do this podcast again. I'd be like, great, see you later. <laughs> like, and I would have found the way to just talk with you about God knows, um, God knows what else. Like, like you know, yeah. anything other than the church, because this is just killing me. And something happened over break where I just feel like God has kind of been like, I'm just experiencing a, like a little bit of um, like healing and like, it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't know, and I'm I'm still in the middle of it, so I can't. I don't. I could be wrong, but like I just feel like there's this sense of renewal going on within my own life, and this to me really speaks to that, and it speaks to why I feel like we're doing this. And um, I'm going into this because a lot. I know we're going to get some bigger um, numbers here pretty soon, just from some things that are going on with an interview I did, and a couple. Of, I mean, that might not be in. I'm insanely huge, but like I've I've had to take some time to reflect upon our show and what we're doing, and what people are going to be coming to and if they come in and they come in, I'm listening to this. And to me, it's this quote. It's that I know the light of God exists, that he is risen, that his light is stronger than any darkness, that the goodness of God is stronger than any evil in this world. And this helps me to go forward with like, with like almost, with almost certainty. I have um, nothing to offer anyone, but my experience of trying to live this out. And that is it. What a great quote. Right, and the thing is too, it doesn't really even fit with like her letter. I'm sorry, with this family's letter to me. Like mm-hmm. it, uh, I'm pretty sure I know which person in the family um wrote this, but like, like it, um, <laughs> it, it, it was almost because I remember, like, I remember I'm reading it, being like, what, what, the, why that? Like, mm-hmm. it, and but it, like, it's it, well, it's funny because at at the end, she, she's she says like, this is I'm not trying to talk highly of myself, but this is what you. Um, exemplify as with your with your um, leadership, and uh, I was like, really, and and like in hindsight, I'm like that actually kind of is me, which is just like I don't know what to do, but I know this is what we're gonna do. Like, <laughs> um, and I I don't know, man. I I just be curious to kind of your take on that, and like just what 
what does it look like when you're trying to proclaim that? My uh, my hard thing is um, my hard thing. Wow, that's an awkward phrase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my hard thing <laughs> has, always has something so to long, say. Top two hundred no. of American Christianity podcasts. <laughs> Back to the bottom, right? This phrase. So he says that the goodness of God is stronger than the evil in this world, right? And realizing that life is exists a gift, uh, existence is a gift, and that love is being a gift to others. And when I think about the suffering that Shannon and I have undergone this last year with losing our three children via miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, um, and the, the hardest part of that was the ectopic pregnancy because we had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Like, we had to make a decision that ended a life for us. One of the things that I've seen with my beautiful bride is her healing has come through embracing the gift that they were for the time that we had them. Mm. And it's so cool to realize that, like, the impact of Hope Benedict, you know, Benedict, that's awesome, Hope Benedict and Perpetua, the impact that they've had on our lives has been, uh, how do I put it, has been severe. And now it's becoming great instead of terrible. It has shown us to see, because he has this line, Ratzinger has this line where he says that the goodness of God is stronger than any evil in this world. And it's like, well, we just experienced three evils like in secession and it like crippled us as human persons. Like I'm only just now, and I shared this with our listeners, like clawing my way out of it and Shannon too, but to realize the giftedness that they were is how you heal. You don't heal by ignoring, because Luke, I'm going to tell you, man, like, in my heart of hearts, I, I wish it never happened. I don't want to think about it. I feel sad. I feel incredibly um, unhelpful to Shannon in the middle of her struggles, because you want to be able to help, right? As a husband who loves his wife, I want to solve her problems and heal her hurts and hug her and tell her it's all going to be okay, but I can't fix it. I can only wait. And I can only pray for healing and pray for hope and pray for endurance, honestly. But the cool thing is seeing my wife go through this because obviously it affects her differently. And I would argue much deeper than it does me because it was her body, right? And she's grieving totally different things, right? The loss of her fertility on top of the loss of our child. And within this, to see her transform the horror into not a blessing we're not playing some like weird christian game and papering over everything uh, or over spiritualizing things but to realize that hey i didn't have them forever i'm not gonna have my own kids forever but right now they're a gift Mm -hmm. and if i can't see the giftedness of their existence if i can't see the light of god in their existence then i'm missing it and that has brought that is the the hope that exists in the darkness, right? Those who have those who are sitting in darkness have seen a great light. And um, Ratzinger ends it with this, or Benedict, may this help us go forward. And at this moment, I wholeheartedly thank all those who have continually helped me to perceive the yes of God through their faith. And like this notion of like, yeah, I need going forward doesn't mean cutting ourselves off from the past. What it means in Christian hope and healing is 
receiving the gift that they were for as little or as long as we have them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love this part, especially in that context, like over you're saying, the goodness of God is stronger than any evil in this world. It's funny that he says goodness and not power. Yeah. Because power implies, um, oh, well, I don't know if Benedict would say this is like, like the power of God. I, I feel like, Sometimes I put it in terms of like a, on the technical response, which is to crush your enemies, you know, which is to overcome, which is to defeat, to to destroy, and that's not what he says here. He says the goodness of God, the of who God and what God is, is better than any of that. And like that's our show is not very beautiful. Our show is not. Our show is sometimes wrong. <laughs> like I mean, for the most, like I mean, <laughs> so. It is good, and I, I don't mean good in the sense of, um, and this is not me trying to be like, this is how great we are, but like, I don't mean in the sense of like, we're good podcasters, though we are. I mean, like, we are clinging to the goodness of God, I think, with what we are doing. Yep. And I, 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 I don't know if maybe this is, I, I, I wish more people would, <laughs> you know, like, cause I, and I, I wish, sometimes I feel, and I, I need to remember, I think that's, I need to remember, so like, it is a goodness that I that I cling to that helps you overcome those things because from that comes hope that like God is good and he is going to continue to be good and that is never going to change and if I can stay close to that as long as I can if I can hold on to that as tight as I can it's not through the holding on that I'm able to be there it's like God God will help me hold on and this is what I want to propose to you and I'd be curious to get you your thoughts on this and your take because I know I can sometimes I have a little bit of Stockholm almost syndrome at time when it comes to the world and like the culture and you know how whatever. Um, our buddy Matt, um, Matt Frad had a show uh, at the end of the calendar year where he talked about he was going over to some other. Uh, he was starting to put stuff on another on website because he thought he thought it was only a matter of time before uh, before like, YouTube was going to take his stuff down, and he was talking specifically towards. Um, transgenderism and how and what he's i'm saying about that and how he felt that he was going to get the boot and i it is and i was like i understand why he's doing that you know i understand why and i was like i and i think matt would agree with me i I don't want to speak for him though like i don't want to do that though i i don't want to leave we're not on youtube but i don't want to leave like you know I, I don't want to put our stuff over on some free speech site or or, or something like that, or that's because I don't. I want to exist in that um, tension, you know, because that's to me where there's no, like that's I I feel like if I, I don't know I feel like I can I have to exist. This is why the Benedict option would never work for me because I have to be there. I just can't bring myself to do a thing. That could potentially, and I don't think if I were to, if we were to go over one of those things, I would like, you know, um, if I were, I'm going to lose relationships or anything like that. But I am scared of that. I am scared um, at times of how we present certain things. How is this going to make other people mad? Because I've, I immediately don't want to um, shut them off, but I don't want to back off from like, from the like truth, I, the like truth. And so I'm trying to exist in this thing where like, how do we speak to the world with, out and like speaking the truth like cleaned without and how do i how do we preach the truth of god how do we say what we know to be true and what god has revealed to us through his through christ and the church without abandoning it without without like like burning just a whole bunch of bridges which feels so easy to do right now 
like way more than it ever has in my entire life. I, I, and to me, I think it's by clinging to this own goodness and saying, we're going to stay here and we're going to do it through this. I want to, I'm curious to get your take on that. The, uh, it, it feels like that St. Thomas More approach. Um, my first encounter with St. Thomas More was through someone who bitterly hated him, Alan Dershowitz. You know, Alan Dershowitz, the old yellow teeth Dershowitz, who is a lawyer for, uh, oh, Jeffrey Epstein. He like had a massage at one I've of Epstein's. That name. I was like, Alan Dershowitz, he's a very fa- Simpsons used to make fun of him. He was the the lawyer that could fit like eight pool balls in his mouth. Um, Dershowitz is a very famous atheist. You know, he did TV stuff. He's he's a very famous defense attorney, and he defends some of the lowest of the low people. I believe he defended OJ and all okay, that stuff. Okay, okay, I was like, I know that name. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. It, yeah, but he wasn't the lead. He was the assistant. So Dershowitz um, had a famous debate with Ambassador Alan Keyes, who's a Catholic, um, ultra, well, he's a Catholic conservative guy. And um, in the debate, he was talking about Thomas More and how, like, being a Christian, believing in some fake God in the sky, is it going to make anything better? And he was talking about Thomas More as someone who used a, not, didn't live by justice in some heroic ideal, but some cold calculus to let him get away enough with breaking God's law, but not too much and breaking the King's law, but not too much. And I remember thinking about that and being like, Oh, that's weird. And I went and I learned more about St. Thomas More. And what Thomas More was doing was, okay. So you got all of Europe that is on fire with the Protestant reformation. It comes to England, open descent, and people, there's all these cultural forces for a hundred years encouraging the king of England to declare himself the head of the church um, that pre-existed Henry VIII. There's all these cultural forces, and Thomas More loved the church, but he also really did love the king, and he really did love England, and he really thought he was in the right place to do the right thing. So he did everything he could when the whole world essentially was burning around him to be the last voice of sanity in an insane world to speak the truth to those who would do it. And it led him all the way up to his death. And what did he say? I am the king's good servant, but God's first. And there, he is the example of the saint who never compromised morally, theologically, faithfulness-wise, covenant-wise. But he knew how, and I'm sure it ripped him to pieces inside, because even his own kids were basically saying what Job's wife was saying, like, curse God and die. Just betray your oath and go against it all. And he lived this life of such integrity, but he knew, similar to what you were saying, he had to live in that tension until there was no more tension. There was only hostility left. And then, the, you know, it consumed him. But um, he was brutally murdered. Um, there is something to say. I think, I think there are different roles for people. But I also think there are personality types who I think it's easier to just say, you know what? F it. The world sucks. I'm going to take my Christian friends. We're going to get our bat glove ball and go home. Right? And I think people, it's very easy to do. I'm not saying Frat is doing no, that. Yeah, and I was about to say that. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't think he's doing that either. So. But you hear that enough in our circles mm-hmm. of people who, yeah. yeah. and there's this part where, like, if you have a charism of evangelization, you have an antsy 
holy anxiety to be in the world, but not of it, to be in the world. And when you have people who don't have that charism or, or it's associated charisms and they don't feel this ginormous push to the world, like, and there are plenty of people who don't have that charism. doesn't mean they're not required to evangelize. Everyone is. But there are some people who it's their heart's desire at their most inner self to do this, to be there, to be connected with people, to see this. Mm-hmm. And there are some who are not. And I think oftentimes it's like our spirituality. We, we want to take what the lens by which we see the world and demand everyone else see it through that lens and i don't think it works that way yeah because i'll tell you luke i think i i honestly think you have probably a charism for evangelization in a way that not a lot of people in the church can appreciate like parishes traditionally shun the charism of evangelization because it brings too much instability into a parish Right. Who are all these new people? Why are you sitting in my pew? You know, mm-hmm. now women, yeah. you know, this one guy said, you know, evangelization is taking place when uh, people no longer feel safe to leave their purses in the pews. Right. And it's true because you, you're bringing in the types of people who aren't church going folks. Well, isn't that what evangelization is for? But there's some people who don't feel that tension. Maybe they're bad Catholics, but I think some are more contemplative. Some are more like teaching like Frad is a natural born teacher or a supernaturally graced mm-hmm. teacher. Yeah. Best thing I've ever heard. And right. And he gets people. I'm not offended by that. He gets people. <laughs> this is very <laughs> on board and concise. <laughs> yeah. But he gets people on board. Yeah. He gets yeah. them in, you know, and it's awesome to see people do that. Scott on was incredible. Like if you could buy into first principle, number one, probably something having to do with the covenant, <laughs> then you were off to the races. And all of a sudden it didn't matter if you're talking about St. Catherine of Siena, Thomas Aquinas, St. Irenaeus, or some mm-hmm. old Testament patriarch. You were like, this makes so much sense because that's what people with charisms and, and, and their heart, like they've given their vocation or their apostolate over to the thing that lights them on fire. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, but I also think we all have these tendencies within us to be like, a chadia, you know, a cedia. Like I'm done. I'm so exhausted from fighting the good fight. I want to just tip my bat and glove and go home. And I feel that way. I feel that way, Luke, so much. The noonday devil is was riding me very, very hard. And it's just like I'm sick and tired of dealing with the politics. I'm yeah. sick and tired of dealing with the backbiting. Just let me. Just let me. Just you know what? You all burn, and I'll go live <laughs> in my small community. Uh, it, it, it it definitely. It's weird how the answer to that is like holy tears and just uh, sorrowful heart yeah. and obedience. It's like, oh. Broke, broken hearts. There's a great line from a poem about St. Michael the Archangel. And in one scale, he placed all the glories of our race and it's all like, you know, money, sex, and power. And in the other scale, he threw things regardless, outcasts for you. Uh, martyr ash, arena sand of St. Francis's quarter strand. And my favorite line is, and disillusions and despairs of young saints with grief grade hairs oh, and broken hearts and broken hearts that break for man. Right? Like that Holy line, cow. disillusions and despairs Holy of young saints with grief grade hairs. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like oh, I think gosh. about like like think about the 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 parent who has a drug addicted adult child and how they don't even know where they are. Right, like my parents went through that for years with me. Just kidding, but my parents went through that for years. Like you don't know where they are. You're you know that they're alive because there's an occasional ping on your credit card. But like, what's what's really going on there? You know, there's this there's this background anxiety that just throbs with sorrow, 
And to be a saint, in a way, means you take that and you groan for the world. And who is doing that? Who is groaning for the world today when when the kind of like the politics around things is just like, well, I'm just going to cut cut and sever you away from me and I'm done with you, you know? Yeah. No, that's a that's a very good point. So, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens. <laughs> okay, can we I, I just I know we have I know we've got it. We ha, we ha, yeah. have some copy. My gosh. I am obsessed with Athletic Greens. I am absolutely obsessed with our next partner who has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking um, athletic greens because the pitch sounded very cool. This year, I wanted to just embrace embrace health again. You know, uh, that's just my big thing, and I so it's one of the main reasons why I did athletic uh, greens. And we and we uh, were able to meet with them and hear uh, a little bit of like what they're about. A couple other podcasts that are on par. So here's the deal with athletic greens that I love. So I've been taking it. They sent us these starter packs. Yeah. Which are awesome. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. Right. You take it. This is what I do. I come downstairs. I open the kennel for my dog. Dog comes out. I go right over, fill up my glass of water, 12 ounces, cold water, dump one scoop of athletic greens in there. And it's supplements for the whole day. It's awesome. Because the stuff they use is sourced from whole food ingredients. It is great stuff. That's why it's made in New Zealand. And boom, here's this like super vitamin. It tastes good. It's a powder that you dump in your drink. You can take it on the go. It's awesome. I have not failed taking this. Luke, all of my health care regimens have fallen to the wayside, except for athletic greens. That should tell you something. <laughs> I was a bit skeptical at first just because I was like, you know, like, like yeah, I'm like, is this just? Are you just? Um, am I going to be peeing very expensive pee? Like that's what I'm. I'm wondering. Well, that's going on. And honest to God, um, so tons of people t- take some some like type of a multi and multi vitamin, but it's important to choose one with high quality in, in greens that your body's going to like actually absorb. I could feel that happen like immediately afterwards. I'm not kidding. I felt like I I got I had my body almost felt like I'd gone on, on a run. Or I'd done something like very, very, I just felt phenomenal. And I've been, I'm sleeping a little bit better. Uh, I'm still, I'm probably about like maybe a month into, actually probably not now, maybe about two to three weeks into it. And I just, I, um, everyone, I'm begging you to buy it so they will keep giving it to us. I don't even know if they're <laughs> going to. And, I mean, like, like honestly, God, I'm not kidding. Um, we're going to, like, both Aaron and I are going to keep doing this after see the problem with the problem with these sponsors we start getting them because we're doing an ad and then i end up spending all the ad money on buying more products so So here's a great thing this stuff is lifestyle uh friendly whether you eat paleo uh keto vegan dairy free gluten free Mm -hmm. it's fine it's got less than one gram of sugar uh, no gmos which is very important for me and my family no nasty chemicals or artificial anything um it's really good stuff so uh, this is what we're going to say to make it easy. Athletic greens is going to give you a, Oh, what? N- oh no, wait, is it the part in bold or the, just the it's, part underneath if you do the paragraph there, the hard CTA. Yeah. Is it you're, you're doing, there's the right, the, the green, the, the yellow stuff. So, okay. So it is just the yellow stuff. I just, I just, I just want to make sure. Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. We're good. We're good. Sorry. <laughs> go on, Gomer. <laughs> 
So let me just close with saying, <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I have the travel packs. I will be using the travel packs. You don't have to refrigerate the travel packs. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash foxes. Move over, Joe Rogan, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance thank you to athletic greens for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes and my body so good it's so good so one of the things that i like to do is i like to read i like to read i like to sit and i like to read um i do more sitting than reading and i ended up really hurting my back and so i went um a friend of mine's a physical therapist. They told me, you know, the shin splint is the person that helped me with my shin splints. And they also said, uh, hey, you know, for your back, it's, it, you know, it might be this, it might be that, but it's probably the sitting. Do you sit a lot? And I was like, do I sit a lot? So I've been looking at, uh, the answer is yes. Wait, I've there are other at, options? I know. Turns out people stand just like it's wild. But, okay, so I went and I did the standard Gormley thing. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos, tried to learn information about standing desks. Do I just go and buy the cheapest standing desk, slap it on a wood thing that I can make myself, you know, for a, a good desk? Or do I go out and buy something that's nice and all that? So I end up getting analysis paralysis, as you do, right? Mm-hmm. And I have some friends that have... Move. Yeah. I have some friends. Yeah, we either do one of two things. Either we have analysis paralysis or we get a new religion and dump half a <laughs> half of our monthly paycheck into a thing. And by we, I mean me. Sorry. It's exhausting uh, for our wives. <laughs> but wonderful entertainment for our listeners. Um, we do it for you. Uh, so I decided that I was going to research the standing desk. And, you know, I started doing the, the series of stretching exercises that the physical therapist told me to do because... It, I, I couldn't even, like, I had to roll out of bed. I felt like an 80-year-old oh, man. Buddy. I'm living like an 80-year-old. Buddy. Yeah, it was awful. I no. was bent over. And this is when my wife was in St. Louis. It was horrific. She came home, and I had to sleep on the couch, propped up. Like, you know, like someone who's like, oh, I care. I got to sleep in a chair. And I'm like, oh, God. So I didn't want that happening. So uh, I end up doing the exercises, getting good. And then um, and I'm like, where? how did this happen? Well, you know, because I haven't been at work, I, t- I took two and a half weeks off, you know, whatever. I get to work, I sit down, and I sit in my, like, somewhat slouched position, and I realize that middle part right above, kind of in the middle and to the top of the curve of your spine, the lumbar area, that's where my back hits the middle of the chair when I'm, like, in bad posture, you know, and I'm not sitting up straight and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I, I have a book called Desk Bound, and it's kind of a lot about, around these things. And I got it a few months ago because a buddy of mine was talking about it. And I was having these mild back pains. And this guy tells you what to do and some of the physical exercises that he said. He's a physical trainer. And so this uh, physical therapist was recommending exercises that this guy also recommends. So I was like, okay, you know, whatever. I can do this. Um, but I realized, Luke, that it's, it's more than that. So I go online, and I go and I find a book that was recommended. It's a Mayo Clinic doctor. The book is called Get Up. I think it's James Levin, Robert Levin. Um, so I go and I get this book from the library because I'm also trying to get back into fire. So I'm going to the library more than more than uh, Amazon. And um, I have this book and I'm going through it. And it's a funny book. It's really easy, accessible. It's on Audible. For those of you who have an Audible subscription, it's on Audible for free as one of their free downloads. And I'm going through this book, and it is amazing how this guy realized, like, why the chair is killing us. And his, let me just summarize, he just says, you know, 
the average human walked or ran for 13 hours a day, sat for two hours a day, and it was only to rest, and then slept for eight, eight and a half hours a day. And we have flipped the sitting and the walking or running, right? We flipped it. And his whole his whole organization at the Mayo Clinic, Clinic so one of these you know, world's greatest research clinics, you know, one of the you know top tier place. Heard of it? He spe- all he does is <laughs> specialize in trying to figure out how to help people who are unhealthy get healthy. And he realizes there's three basic ways you burn calories. One is by exercise, intense bouts, 30 to 90 minutes, whatever. Another is your, your what do you call it, your basal metabolic rate, like just the amount of calories your body consumes by beating your heart, keeping your brain going, you know, just the basic breathing, you know, all that. So it's like 600 mm-hmm. calories, something like that. And he goes, and then they have this thing called NEAT, non-exercise activity, uh, non-exercise non-exercise, active thermogenesis. So your body burning calories, the, you know, caloric burning. And he says, that, so they did this test where they fed everyone to the gram, and he has all these hilarious stories of how they made sure it was to the gram. Fed everyone to the gram, uh, like 50% to 100% more of their average daily intake of calories. And they made them wear this underwear that tracked movement posture. Basically, it was like an Apple Watch, but for your whole torso and legs. So they knew if you were standing, not not just like, oh, I'm guessing that you're walking because your arm is down and now it's up. They literally knew the position of each leg, your back, your spine, your butt, your thighs, your, your hamstrings. So it had your whole lower body. They called it magic underwear. It was all mapped out and everything. And long story short, there was... Half of the people gained 14 pounds, which is how many calories they overfed them. The other half of the people didn't gain a single pound. And when they did the data, it wasn't exercise. Exercise had almost no effect. It was the people who had very high, neat level of activity. So just the people who are walking around during their day, the normal stuff you do in the day like if you take like I did uh one one particular day I'm you know I, I have the Apple Watch I have an app called Pedometer Plus Plus and it just has a simple bar graph of your day. There were some days where I literally did four thousand steps, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's horrific. And there were days where I did fifteen thousand or twenty thousand steps. He he was basically saying, you can exercise, but if the rest of your life with that neat is very low you are essentially doing like exercise or going to the gym is like the fast food of health he's like you should really concentrate on getting your neat up and i was like you know what okay that that makes sense to me like all the small things like why do so many women burn through calories well one breastfeeding that's that basal metabolic like that burns through a lot of calories women who women who just have babies but also they're they're running after babies or constantly doing stuff mm-hmm. for their babies mm-hmm. if they have a toddler they're you know kill i mean we God. all know right it's kill go me. go go kill me <laughs> but that that's his whole argument is when we have the chair we sit for 12 hours or 13 hours car work couch all that stuff he said we sit for what and he said, you know, it used to be we ate three meals a day. And he said, the reason why that's great is you would eat and then you would go out and work until lunch. And then you would eat and then you go out and work until dinner. And then you would eat and you would basically finish up the chores and then go to bed. And he said, but now what do we do? We sit all day and then we eat and then we sit more and then we eat and then we sit more and then we lay down. And uh they did and this is the last thing I'm gonna say. They did a study 
And it was a, a really fascinating study about the, the glycemic load on your body, like the blood sugars in your system. And they said, if you eat a bunch of food that has a lot of sugar, insulin response, blah, 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 and you eat it and then don't get up and do anything, he said, all that sugar, the main place where that deposits is in your thighs, your butt, and your stomach, right? The traditional place where women carry it, mm-hmm. mostly in the gut where men carry it. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, but if you would get up and walk for 15 minutes at 1.1 miles an hour, for me, a brisk walk is about three to four miles an hour. If you were to walk at 1.1 miles an hour, they have determined that it cuts your glycemic impact in half in 15 minutes. Huh. And so he said, like, the people who just did that after breakfast, lunch, and dinner they did not gain the weight. Like you can literally, he said, this is why twins who have this essentially the same uh, genetic structure. One has a job that's at a desk and the other one has a job at a lab where they're, you know, on their feet all day doing tests and experiments and walking around and doing measurements. They're not just sitting at a computer. They said the person who's up walking around will be slim and trim. And the person who's sitting will be obese and he's like it's not you need exercise you need that stuff you need high cardio you need to get your you know your heartbeat in the in the 80 to 90 percentile range or whatever it is he said but what we need more than anything else is a basic level of non-exercise active thermogenesis and i was like holy crap that's really cool and he's like and that's what people with standing desks do they stand more yeah you can hurt your legs so get a thing move around don't just stand but, like, you got to get moving. And I was like, okay. So when yeah. you say get a thing, do you mean a thing to put under your feet or something like that? Yeah, like an anti-fatigue mat or a treadmill. Or he actually is the guy that invented, the author of this book, he invented the treadmill desk. He bought a treadmill and took a metal saw and chopped it off. Um, but then he partnered with a company and made it. And you can buy tread Now, I didn't know this, but on Amazon, you can buy treadmills where if you want to walk, the handlebars collapse. And you can go up to, like, four miles an hour walking and then if you want to run you have to lift the handlebars up which means that you're not at a desk you know i think i would so, love that i think i really I, would like i, I, I would, do would too that. yeah and it's about six hundred dollars on amazon and i'm like you know what honestly it's that or me be horrific my whole life so uh athletic greens plus walking <laughs> plus <laughs> actually exercising so i've heard things like standing it's just as harmful as if you if you stand all day. It's just as, uh, just as harmful as if you were to sit all day. Is he saying if you stand in the same spot and you're not moving around? If you physically stand with like literally, literally what they call micro movements is enough mm-hmm. to end that. Like if you're saying, like if you're tired, like if you're legitimately, if your legs are sore, sit down. But what happens is what like the, the they talked about this in, in this it wasn't in this book it was in a different book where they talked about the the study where it said standing actually can be just as harmful as sitting they made the people stand in one place but what they found is if you're in a modern office environment and you're at a standing desk you you end up just walking around more right and that's the thing that changes everything once you start walking all of those things about standing being harmful goes away that makes right? sense that makes sense yeah and if you have a treadmill, or excuse me, not a treadmill, if you have um, like a stool, so let's say you, you get a non-adjustable standing desk, so it's just permanently standing. Um, if you have a treadmill, or uh, excuse me, God, I keep saying that. If you have a stool, you, you can just pull the stool over, sit on the edge of it for, you know, sit on your sit bones, not on your thighs, for, you know, 10 minutes till you 
you know, your legs don't feel sore anymore. Or what I do is yeah. I just do a squat and it just stretches out your your quads and stuff like that. I have uh, Chris Miller, my buddy Chris Miller, my friend. Uh, he's a guy I know. Heard of him. Um, yeah, he's had a standing desk and he says, I've had a standing desk for like, I think he said like eight years. And he's like, I've, I never sit anymore. Like, I'm, I don't need a stool. I just go, my whole day is spent standing. So it is, uh, but he's he's one of those athletic people. Ugh, right, I right. Know. I need Just, to get an Apple Watch to monitor this stuff. I sit a lot now. I'm scared. I'm legit. I'm scared because that what are you backs. Of? Oh, I'm oh, scared backs of how oh, fat yeah. and horrible I am. No, you're not horrible. Be easy on yourself. You're my gomer. Luke, I know, I know. But there's a point. Of, there's a point where me. I'm like, I know. I say it out loud, things like that. But there's a for me in my mind. There's a difference between me being horrible to myself or hard on myself versus me being like, all right, you're not you're like, okay, you're not doing what you should do. It's time to restart. Like, that's what that means to me. My self-deprecating yeah. humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm in a better place to where it's not like me pouring self-hatred on me. Pour some self-hatred on me. <laughs> no, I, um, this is why I want to get an Apple watch to be able to just like, tell myself to get up and move and stuff i i think i i my fit i i've talked about this before on this podcast and i will say it again most of my favorite meetings of all time was uh back when i worked at porch rocking and we would have a meeting outside in the backyard we would kick around a soccer ball and we would talk and i swear it was we got so much done doing that you are definitely more creative when you're standing, walking, and moving. So I'm going to start. I'm going to try my one-on-one meetings to be walking meetings and just see how awkward that is. Because I have, um, yeah, anywho, that, that, that's what my goal is. But um, Is that why Apple's loop. thing is a loop? Is that part of the reason why? What? They, Apple's? They, they, Apple's, they changed Apple's headquarters to this big, like, it's like a donut. It's, it's just a, it's a, it's an... It's an infinite loop is the idea or, or, or something oh, like that. Oh, well, I mean, so the, the name of the street is One Infinite Loop. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. You mean the 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 Apple mothership, the giant yes. circle? Yep. Not yep. a single flat piece of glass in the whole place? Yeah. It's all curved. Yeah. No, that that's just Johnny Ive flexing his art, uh, architectural I skills. I don't think it but looks that good. I haven't seen it in person, though, so. It looks great if you're into, like, instagram looking but when they started talking they said all these people like hate working in, in this because it's like here's all these open concept seating they're like can i have a wall please so i can focus on my damn work i just want an office can i have an office you got these benches that are flawless i don't want a bench i want an office <laughs> i wouldn't um i think at p and g you can just move around i i wouldn't yeah. mind that because i've had a, i've only had like maybe two or maybe i think i've been there twice um, and I like how I like their setup, but I think you can just go anywhere there. I don't know yeah. exactly. So I'm I, I'm ready. I've already talked. I already got facilities. Okay. And I have to use my own money um, in order to get it. Cause it's like, well, we have a desk for you. And I'm like, I know, but I need a standing desk. I'm like, well, we could get you one of those kangaroo standing desk things that adjust with you. And I'm like, I hate those desktop things they look horrible there's a couple that look okay but i want a standing desk i want a desk i could push a button it goes that's an old song from the 90s oh man speaking of old song from the 90s you know what i listen to Hmm. my daughter asked me kateri asked me she's been reading saint stories and world war ii stories and she said daddy tell me a story about world war ii and then uh, and you're and like, oh, said, my gosh, all I know is what Tom Hanks has told me. 
I know. So along those lines, I said, well, Matt Damon said, was funny. Yeah, well, she said, well, could we watch a World War II movie? And I started thinking, what would be a good World War II movie that's not so violent or given nightmares and all this yeah. stuff? Yeah. But at the same time, you still want to expose them to the horror of war. You don't want them to glorify yeah. everything all the time. All the thin red and line. I, <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, I said, well, honey, you know, like in the original war movies, it was all about like war movies were action movies. So it was, you know, like John Wayne shooting a Nazi and, you know, conquering. And they were just like action movies. But as you begin to go through, you know, like Apocalypse Now and Platoon and stuff, they begin to show you the gritty side. But those were like anti-war movies, you know. They, they were movies with a message that they're trying to be anti-war, anti-Vietnam, whatever it might be. I said, but it, it really was Saving Private Ryan, I feel like. And I'm probably way off on this. But from my own memory, I said, there's a movie called Saving Private Ryan where it it still glorified war it still was an action movie but it also was really really gritty and i think the way that they kind of united it all was they show it was a movie that showed you the horrors of war from the soldier's perspective yeah and yet showed you heroic soldiers right so it still has that action movie because no one's gonna see it if it just it's constant you know what's his name just you know bash in the united states like tom hanks only does world war ii movies because that's the w- last war he believed in so you know he's a macho democrat so he's going to show you these world I, war II I, stuff. So. I think that's a step too far having oh heard, man heard his stuff and why he li- I, I i i would push back against that oh yeah i, I mean it's, i'm not being serious oh oh okay sorry i was like <laughs> I don't it's all good okay. it's all good no and so i said i described to her Saving Private Ryan, how it opens up with this old man with these two insanely gorgeous daughters or granddaughters walking to the cemetery. You remember that? Yeah, that's a weird um, detail to add. <laughs> but so they're walking to the cemetery, and then he has, I said, he has this remembrance of D Day. I said, and the whole point of the story of Saving Private Ryan is there's this guy, Private Ryan, who is behind enemy lines or whatever, and this group of soldiers are tasked with going and finding him. Uh, and and reconnecting with his with his group to get him home mm-hmm. because all of his brothers are dead. And she's like, "What?" And I said, "Okay, so during World War II, there was there was a family called the Sullivan family, and they were all five brothers. Their dad was in the military. These five boys were all on the same battleship in the South Pacific, and it was destroyed. And in one day." the mother lost her all of her sons and it became this national news story and it was horrific and so what they wanted to do from that point on was make sure that that would never happen again and so the story of saving private ryan is essentially u.s military realizing oh my goodness all of these people are dead he's the last living son let's get him and get him home and uh and she's like oh wow that's crazy and i said yeah it is crazy because now the men who are sent to go get him and take him home, they start dying. And now he has to live with the incredible soul-crushing guilt. That And, and there's this one great scene where Matthew Damon's like, I didn't ask him to die for me. I don't want this. You know, and Tom Hanks' character is like, well, but this is the mission. You know, like, we got to deal with it kind of. And so I was like, imagine being this guy who's no one special, and yet he has to go home because... All of his siblings are dead. All of his brothers are dead. And she was like, oh, my goodness. And then I clicked, like, all of a sudden, Luke, it rushed on me like a memory that I had blocked. There was a song 
that came out in like 97, 98 called Sullivan by a band called Caroline Spine. Weird, but it was a song about the the Sullivan boys and and all their kid, you know, all the boys dying. And I remember I became obsessed with this song. I owned the album. I own. I think I own the single uh, CD. And my dad, Chris Miller, pointed out. I sent it to him, and he goes, "Oh my goodness, I haven't thought of this song in like thirty years." And he goes, "Your dad hated this song." I remember he turned it off in the car. Because I thought I was going to impress my dad. Like, hey, here's a song from WW2. And my dad goes, what the hell is some grunge band from the 90s know about World War II? And he turned it off. And I was like, but it's a good song. <laughs> and, I, and I started listening to that song again. I was like, like it, it was like I was like hemorrhaging freshman year of high school memories. Right. Like it was so intensely tied to that one song. Yikes. I've got it playing right right now. I don't think I remember this. It was it was very popular in Tulsa. On a mighty fighting battleship, somewhere here in the South Pacific. It's not hard to reach back to her smile when she'd receive the letter. And the letters they sounded generally the same. It said they couldn't be home. At least they were together on a mighty fighting battleship, somewhere in the South Pacific. No, their letters, they never got much more specific. So say goodbye, bye-bye, Mrs. Sullivan. And don't you cry, 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 cry. We regret to inform you the Navy is keeping your sons away. We'll all five, 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 five. So keep your blue star in the window. Yeah, I don't think I remember that song. Huh. Oh, man. I've listened to it ten times today. <laughs> um, <laughs> l- l- let me ask you this. Why not just show her uh, Band of Brothers? So I think Band of Brothers is a little bit too realistic. I would like to do the Curahy, um Have you watched? Part. Did you watch uh, Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do Saving Private Ryan. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I was like, I was like the opening 30 minutes are like the most right. famous in film history for its <laughs> Yeah, it's it's grittiness. Like, I, I said, I, that's what I said to Katir. I said, Katir, I can't show you that because the first 30 minutes are like the D-Day landing, and they had these amphibious boats, and they would come on shore, and the door would open, and the Nazi machine gunners would just rake them. <laughs> I mean, and I'll then tell the you all would, about it, but I'm not going to show it to you. Like, right. right. <laughs> they can have mental uh, imagination pictures rather than the video. And I said, and then men would jump off the sides, and then they would drown from the heaviness of their equipment and all this stuff. And I said, and it's all in the movie. It's too much. And she's like, okay. And then I was walking away, and I said, maybe, maybe Memphis Bell. Oh, I was yeah. I was 12, 10. Okay, so I was watching R-rated movies when I was seven. But uh, my parents didn't care that Jean-Claude Van Damme was the most viewed actor in my home when they were when I was supposedly being babysat. Um, I watched Bloodsport when I was like six years old. Oh, gosh. So many Jean-Claude Van Damme shorts. I saw Commando with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, when right. I was that movie's like wonderful. seven. Uh, it that's, is. That's a little. <laughs> he got the bazooka on his little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he 
I love how he crashes into the gun place and then flips a switch underneath the counter, and all of a sudden it's all this elite military equipment, and he just, let's get on the plane to South America. (laughs) I watched it as an adult years later to see what happened and, and like i forgot on the end he like just like breaks off a metal pipe like squeezes it and like throws it at some dude i was like <laughs> wait what That's oh so silly steel it's not gonna what's happening oh my gosh um i've overthink yeah. it's kind of what but what world war ii movie would you think that the kids oh. i don't think band of brothers because the language is really bad yeah um, that's true it's it's just too rough, and I don't think they would understand that. I don't think they would understand. No, no. You're in I high agree. school. You're a you're a you're a sixteen, seventeen year old boy or girl who plays sports. You get that jabbing mockery, you know, insult. Yeah, like you're not gonna pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, that's a really good. Okay, l- let me think here. So you, you need a World War II film that's appropriate yeah. for an eleven year old that kind of gets. I was all... thinking, life is beautiful. Uh, that's pretty intense, but, though. So, it is intense. It is intense. But my, I, I don't remember them being a lot of acts of violence. It's just like, oh, gosh, this is a concentration camp. Like, you know, the horse. Like, I don't think they showed them being gratuitously violent. Okay. I found out about the uh, concentration camps when I was uh, when I was nine at Wright Memorial Li- Library. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? Ovens? Oh God! Oh God! Humans did this. Other humans? Yeah. Yeah. My. Um. But the the reason why I say this is, um, because it was Pope John Paul's favorite movie, and it involves the. It's like it revolves around the love of the father. It doesn't revolve around fighting and killing and yeah. torture yeah. and violence. You know. Yeah. Let me. Okay. I'm gonna go through some things really quick here. I've got mm-hmm. some things pulled up. Uh, Unbroken's phenomenal. Uh, but I'm not sure that would fit. I, I think I've never okay. seen Life is Beautiful. Uh, might I recommend it in Glorious Bastards? Uh, absolutely phenomenal. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, there are some older ones. Um, the Longest Day. Uh, I've never seen Patton. Uh, might not be necessarily appropriate for a kid. Uh, Defiance. I remember that not being so good. I'm, I'm sorry. Hacksaw Ridge. That was really good. Uh, that might be a little bit much, though. That's way too much. Yeah. Uh, I don't they remember. do have, I saw Hacksaw Ridge on an airplane and they took out the most, like the most violent scenes. Now also my daughter Kateri has been reading um, these historical fiction books about like the Nazi occupation of Lithuania. And um, uh, it's this, this wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. She's an author who just hits like a whole bunch of, of, really interesting like approaches but she un- breaks open the history of these conflicts that you like a lot of people didn't know about so mm-hmm. um so she's she's aware of what happened in concentration camps is what i'm saying okay okay there's a Maybe film flags of our fathers no that's our there's a film that's coming to mind i'm gonna try to find it really quick uh that's um i haven't watched it um okay but it's supposed to be really really good um let me i'm going through a thing right now give me just a second if you don't mind yeah so the Salt Empire of the Sun, no Patton, uh, written by um, what's his name, the Dirty Dozen. Um, maybe it's not as good as I thought it was, um, or it's just not like as he- as uh, held up as I as I. Uh, the bridge on the River Kwai, uh, mm-hmm. that might be interesting. Like I'm th- I'm t- I'm starting to think some of the more old. There's one more yeah. that I'm. It's a battle one. That I um oh I'm sorry I I'm drawing a blank on it. I wish I could remember what the name of it is 
Because, like, here's the thing about, about the Second World War. There's just, like, so much. There's so much that happened. It's so horrible. Um, it's, there's just, uh, I'm sure my aunt D's probably, I'm losing her mind. She's like, just show this. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. I forgot about what Papa would have said. Um, huh, okay. I don't, I don't remember. I know exactly what movie I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of. And I can't think of like, I can't just, I'm gonna think of the name. Something about, I guess it's not, perhaps it's not that good. It's more about the battle. It's more about, um, Britain. So, but anyways, I, yeah, I, I think I would maybe go older one. The longest day, unless not like very, very Hollywood. It's very, very Hollywood. So keep that in mind. But it's with people who are there who were in it. Like a lot of those actors were there, so or were involved. Um did you ever see The Monuments Men? Uh I never did with Matthew Damon. No. Yeah, I never, never saw did. it either. I saw Ghostbusters. Oh, the new one? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's 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 a thing. It's nostalgia porn. It's did you watch it? No. It's a it, it honestly the whole like I mean this I'm not saying anything new, so I'll keep this very very brief. Everything that everyone has said about it is 100 percent right. It is just the Easter eggs. It's it's like it's so. It's a step away from being like is this satire but it's not so it, it and it's clearly not a satire like it's just too it it doesn't make sense some of the timeline stuff doesn't make sense because the mom's age implying that like so they imply that egon on the left when she was born and she didn't um, know him but judging by his age she would have she would she's older than us so he would have had her before the original ghostbusters even happened <laughs> so it doesn't now they kind of hint at like it could be like some other point in the late you know 2000 so perhaps it's in like eight or nine years from now so like maybe he leaves her and like maybe she's born in the early 90s actually but she's just it you know it just it just it there are some parts of it that actually that i would say there's not like a portion of the film that works well. There are bits and pieces of it that do. So about half of it is isn't too bad. But it never really works as a cohesive whole though, which is very disappointing. So uh but there are there are some parts where I'm like that was cool. I like that. There's even with some of the other like the older ghostbusters, I was like that that's not terrible, but you know, whatever. So um I have, I have another topic, but it's... Oh, sorry. Did, did, did we decide on a film? Are you good or do you need more time? I think Memphis Bell or Unbroken. Or Bridge Over the River Kwai. Or maybe The Great Escape. <laughs> I would do maybe... Or the, maybe... What was that comedy where the Nazis were like bumbling idiots? Uh, what was that? And they would escape and they had the whole... Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a cartoon one called um, The Wind Rises, but it's anime, and that shit just creeps me out. So sorry to all of our <laughs> friends who like it. We tried. We really did. <sighs> yeah, I've never been an anime guy. We No, we legit tried, just so everyone's aware. We legit tried. What did we watch? Princess Moanoke? It was just like 20 minutes. I was, it was when they started to drink the wolf's blood. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. I understand the Japanese mythology of the demon, demon. I can't do this. I was like, listen, like, and it's not like in a cup. It's like they like, there's like holes in the wolf. and They just drink out of the holes, like little holes of bullets. And I was like, that's, that's weird. 
Um, Luke, Luke, you know what? Someone has to. Yeah, it's true. That's true. I forget that Casablanca is a World War II film, except during like during the first year of the of when the the U.S. was in the Second World War. It's from nineteen forty two. So, Gilmer, can I tell you about a new norm? Online dating. Online dating is now equal, or in some cases, a more prominent way the couple of all ages and backgrounds are now meeting. Let's say my background is Roman Catholic. Are you saying there's a dating website for me? Oh my gosh, there is a website where you can start a relationship knowing you share the same Roman Catholic or Byzantine faith. It's the largest <laughs> Catholic dating app specifically for single Catholics. And can you just take a guess as to how it's unlike other websites? Pretty sure this website, if it's truly Catholic, is not going to encourage wink casual relationships and that they're actually going to help singles connect for the purpose of sacramental marriage let's be honest i also have a hunch that they provide a community where catholics can share their challenges of living life in a almost single state and make new friends there are multiple young adults in my church who are on the struggle bus with mm-hmm. being single and in their early 30s or late mm-hmm. 30s and all their friends are married and none of them are catholic and they're like i feel like if i just compromise so it is awesome to have a community where catholics can share those challenges of living single it is hard to try to meet new catholic on people because there's this thing that does tend to happen where you start to like oh make the rounds and you go oh Oh, I've really like run out of people here that I that I could possibly date. And I think what I really like about um Catholic matches it, it really allows you to connect with people from all over the world. The people that like you know like I met on there, I don't think there was one that was actually in the state that I was in. And it was really nice to know that in these like small towns where I was I'm living at the point in time, I had the opportunity to connect with other um, single Catholics. So head on over to Catholic Match. You can start to create your own Catholic love story. They get new stories every week from Catholic couples who met on Catholic Match. Catholic Match is making it easier than ever for Catholic singles to connect. Use their app or website to start connecting with other singles through the messaging or video chat oh and they have video chat now how sweet is that oh that's nice uh it's super easy to get started with catholic match you can you can create a free profile in just minutes over at catholicmatch.com and start meeting other single catholics now go over to um catholicmatch.com put in catching foxes made with me do it and you will find true love over at catholicmatch.com thank you catholic match for supporting this episode of catching foxes all right what else you got luke what else you got Uh, okay this one's kind of a deep one so if we don't have time for this it's fine Okay, and if we don't have time for it, I have a quick thing. Okay, let's let's do a, a quick thing because like this one is another Benedict thing that I think is a good one to do next week. So okay, uh, so uh, Haley Stewart, not Halle Berry, as I called her today uh, to one of my coworkers, uh, Haley Stewart, who candles for Micklemas and uh, the Grace of Enough, and her and her podcast. Uh, their podcast actually is sponsored catching or a Patreon member for catching boxes, which is awesome. They're all, yeah. Uh, love the carrots. Um, but she did their, their, uh, word on fire Institute thing. And she talked a lot about domestic church and other stuff. And she talked about Wendell Berry's book. Uh, I believe it's called the world's consuming fire and it's a collection of his best essays. And the foreword was by this wonderful author named, Paul Kingsnorth. Paul Kingsnorth maintains a blog that us, uh, I think it's a Substack that is absolutely incredible. And they had this whole thing called the divining the machine, which I believe was nine or 10 essays long. Incredible. The guy's a brilliant essayist. I love it. I wanted you to read it so that we could talk about it, but it's not available now. If you don't have, um, if you're not a subscriber to his thing, but so he wrote the introduction and then it's Wendell Berry. Do you know who Wendell Berry is Luke? I don't know. Okay, Wendell Berry is an incredibly brilliant man who was raised on a farm in Kentucky, left to go become a professor at, you know, in New York City, I think at New York, at, what do they call it? 
the College of New York, CUNY or whatever. You know, so he had this prestigious process, uh, professorial job, and he realized he was doing the thing that all children of farmers do, which is you grow up and you go to the big city and you ditch farming. And there was something about Kentucky that was within him. So he began gathering his things and trying to figure out how to get the heck back to Kentucky. Everyone said, no, don't do it. Anywho, he goes back to Kentucky, goes to the same area where he grew up, bought the farm, 12 acres, not a working, you know, a full working farm. And he makes several decisions. One of the decisions is he's not going to use gasoline-powered tractors. He's going to use horses and mules um, because it's also very hilly. And he started, so we sell, so the, the book is a collection of his essays. The first essay written in 1968, I believe now he's 80 years old, never owned a computer, refuses to own a computer, um, does all of his correspondences by, he writes it down in hand. His wife uses a typewriter and types it up and then they send it to their publishers. He's a, you know, New York times, bestselling author multiple times over, but he writes fiction, nonfiction, and he writes these incredibly beautiful, hard hitting polemical pieces. He deals with race. He deals with, um, Capitalism, communism, land, like all this, but he does it as a farmer essayist, and it's incredible. Hmm. So in the first essay, he talks about what does it mean to be a Kentucky farmer, and he's describing his land that only someone who is both brilliant and a farmer can say. It's not just someone waxing poetic about land. It is someone who understands what he's talking about. And he goes through this, and he says, at one point, I, I love this line. It reminded me of the Anima Technica of Acqua, especially letters from Lake Cuomo by uh, Romano Guardini, where he says, you know, for 10,000 years, the Indians lived in this land. And they never, like, this forest it can, can be as old as the Indians. And all they had, all that was here was a path that wove around in the forest, an old Indian path. And he's like, right now I'm reading these diary entries or journals or whatever of my great-great-grandfather, the, the original Kentucky settler. So the white man comes over and he talks about what they were doing there in that area was building a highway. And they would cut down these trees and they would just burn them. Like they didn't do anything with them. They didn't build anything with them. They just burned them. And he had this phrase, he said, this is what, uh, he said, when you're surrounded by abundance, we consume abundantly, and that is madness. Ooh. Ooh. And he said, what is the difference between a highway and a path? A path encounters an obstacle in the wilderness and goes around it. A highway encounters an obstacle and plows through it. You want to build a highway, but there's a big hill or a mountain, dynamite it, it's gone. And he said the Indians never would have done that because the Indians understood one simple thing, that when I am surrounded by abundance, I need to make sure that abundance continues for my children's children's children. So they lived with the minimum. And in fact, if you began to acquire more food than you needed to, more skins than you needed to, more pelts than you needed to, more tents than you needed to, you were looked upon as someone who was mentally, what we would say was like emotionally unstable within these, within many Indian communities. Like the desire to acquire was something that was absolutely demonized. And it's funny because in ancient Greece, when you read Socrates and Plato, greed is seen in the exact same way. Like you have your house, you have your vineyard, you have your fields. Why are you trying to acquire more money? Like, you can live and you can sell and you're fine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? So that was demonized. And he said, and then he said, but 
modern man doesn't look at it that way. They only look at the land as what can it produce, not what is it. Not what makes it good, not how to keep it going. And he said, you know where all of our topsoil is going in Kentucky? It goes to the bottom. And what is the bottom? The rains come, the rivers come, all that thing goes down, down, down by gravity and into the ocean, into the lakes. They're gone. And he's like, there is six feet of topsoil that no longer exists in Kentucky because of the horrible way we farmed, the horrible way we've done this. Holy and cow. he just goes on. And it was so incredible about the way that he described it. So I loved it because his, his, uh, another one of his essays, he said, he's talking about food. And he says, we think today we're the most free because we're the richest. He said, but for most of human society, we didn't measure our wealth by salaried positions. He's like, just think about it. How much of your money do you spend on food? What if you grew all that food? You could take a better job that demanded less of you, less of your time, less of your energy, less of your brain. And he said the average human being for a family of four can feed themselves on a 30 by 60 plot of land, 30 feet by 60 feet. He's like, you can grow all the vegetables you will eat in a year in that land. And he's like, but we don't do it. And he says, and we call ourselves independent. Why? Because we've given our independence over to corporations. But we think we're free because we pick the organization or corporation or government that we now depend on. And he said, this, this was the great line. He said, when food is scarce, it's the most important thing in the world. But when it's abundant, it's the thing we don't even think about. And so then I thought of that first line that he says in the first essay, abundance means we consume abundantly, which is madness. And he's like, if we can learn to treat food, again, as the most important thing, despite its abundance, he says, because right now the corporations are just measuring their corporate farms by the amount that it can yield, not how will the topsoil yield 30 years from now. Huh. And then uh, apparently some big, um, some big, uh, um, grain you know like corn uh, what do you call it uh high fructose corn syrup producer someone asked him about the future growth and sustainability of the farms and he's like the the conversation around sustainability is not productive you know and that was the end he's like well, we don't need to talk about that. that's not productive that, that's not effective what does like it's mean? It, it means that he can't make money off of it the company isn't structured to make money off of you know trying to build more topsoil so no we're just gonna yeah get what we can out of it and this is what i would say is market failure right mark there's not a market for 30 years from now corn for a 30 years from now there's not a market for wheat 40 years from now right meaning there no one is doing stuff today for 30 years from now right the yeah, idea yeah. is i'm gonna grow my wheat today and so i i don't know there was just these handful of, of gems that he just hits you with and he hits you with again and it's so intense like they they talked about the the last essay i was in the middle of was civil rights gave way to the peace movement which gave way to the environmental movement and he said and the thing that i hate about them all is they're just fads they're about justice but it's just fads and that's what our mass culture does everything's a fad and he says there's no such thing as being an environmentalist unless you drive your car less and grow green things more. And I was like, wow, okay, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. 
Could you look? Could okay, honestly, honestly, not the idealness. I'm talking like dealing with the animals, dealing with a manure and with snakes and like all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, could you do it? Could you live on a farm? Michael Gormley, right now, no. Yeah, I, but I, I don't have that. I don't have and I don't have any of the skills to do it. But that's how is, I feel. Yeah. Like, yeah, like there, what goes to my can I just add like yeah. one thing? Like what scares me is like what if Everly comes across a snake? I don't know what to tell her. <laughs> I, I don't. Besides like right. freak out and run, because that's what I would do. Like I don't know what to and that, that like I don't want to put her in, in a position where she's like she can get hurt because I don't know what to do. Like there's something about it that I really love that I find very enticing. And it's a thing about like Idaho that I really, really did um, love was that I, I'm, I, I can remember at one point in time I told my friend, I was like, I'm looking at all of like the open land and I'm like, it feels like a prison. But where I was coming from was like, I just missed, Idaho is actually a pretty cultured place. I don't, this is going to sound worse than what I meant, but like I missed having access to culture, the, the pop culture things that I liked going to the theater, going to the symphony, different things like that, going to see, you know, like I felt like I was cut off from a lot of that stuff. If I could find a way to have what I had in Idaho and have that stuff, I'd be very tempted to to go there because there's something about that that's incredible when you're on your back porch and you're on your front porch and it's quiet and you've got a fire and you're hanging out with all of your friends and you're just kind of out of it all. That's absolutely wonderful and and enticing but what scares me is the day-to-day stuff sorry keep going no i i'm 100 percent with you i have i have no idea how to do it but i've started watching youtube videos <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but, i mean not really i've watched plenty of texas homestead videos but i'm not gonna do anything but the the beautiful thing even though there's a place with six acres right by my house um there is there's a beautiful thing within it all that I could never do that life unless I had help. And yeah, for yep. most for most farmers who aren't going the subsidized food route, you have to have something other than just farming for the most part in order to live. And see, that's the problem with most farmers. They go straight into poverty if they don't get on the government dole. But if they get on the government dole, they have to do the crops that the government demands, soy, wheat, and corn. And, you know, I'm sure there's others. But so it, it's just a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. And um, I've been thinking about this, and I really want to take my kids to a farm and do a vacation on a farm. Oh. And we, we interviewed Jesse, Jesse Strait from Whiffletree Farms. And I, I was on an episode. Right, no, that I just did it alone on, when I was at Covecrest at like the middle of the night. Yeah, and it's really interesting. The stuff that he said was super interesting. It's all sustainable, organic farming. Uh, I got an email from him about uh, going to stay on his property in a farmhouse for an Airbnb. That it's now, I think it's on Verbo or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. and uh, the vacation rental place. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent it to my friends who we talk about this stuff all the time. I sent it to my friends and my friend, uh, you know, Brian Jones, the peeping Thomas and his wife, Michelle was visiting his sister who lives in DC and she clicked the link and she goes, are you being serious right now? I'm literally in this city. I'm in this town, like Warrington, Virginia or whatever. And I'm like, what? And she's like, is that what you sent me? Cause I'm here. 
And I was like, I had no idea. Like, of all the places in all the world, in all the days, I was like, no, we're going to go camping. And I thought this would be, like, an aspirational day. You literally get to go and just stay at this barn if you want, or this farm, excuse me. It's a beautiful farmhouse. Or you could, if you so wanted, join them on their farming chores. And they could teach you how to farm and do the little education stuff that Jesse oh, does. Cool. Th- thanks for asking your friend, um, Luke, if him and his wife and his family want to come. That's, hey, that's Luke. Really cool. That's really no, cool. this is what I want to say, Luke. What if for catching foxes, we bought a farm? We <laughs> <laughs> and made our wives work it while we podcasted. <laughs> catching foxes farms. Like, hey, Let's Shannon, see how good Shannon, is Shannon I want some cucumbers tonight. Thank you. Hey, Shannon, Shannon, I would like some cheese. How long does it take to go from udder to pale to cheese? Shannon, uh, I need, like, Roma tomatoes. Thank you. Oh, could you leave them in the sun? Because I like sun-dried tomatoes. You know, I, I, I've actually <laughs> wanted to have uh, Chris Kavarniak and um, Chris and yes! on to talk about what they're I doing. I would love I, that. Yeah, because I'll, I'll, I, I talked about it a while ago, so I'll, I'll reach back out and see if there's a time. That we, there's we a couple of... There's a couple of Frannies because the the land is insanely cheap because all these farms are none of the children want to farm. And so they're all like so these people who have full time jobs are like, you mean I could have 25 acres with three buildings uh, for like one guy's buying it for like thirty thousand dollars. Is that out like out near Steubenville? It's like, yeah, but in the Pennsylvania part. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, he, you know, like the, the wilderness part, the part that you see yeah. all the trees from yeah, the campus, yeah, yeah. not the not the still mills. And the yeah. No, no. He said, he's like, it's great. There's a creek going right through the middle. I, th- I want to say it was Martin from um, from Franciscan. He does the conferences with me. But he's like, he's like, yeah, it's like a 45 minute drive to work now. But I own like 25 acres or something crazy like that. Well, and I'm like, like from home uh, a certain amount of time, you know, like, yeah. Oh boy, interesting. I, I dream. I dream. And I do want to say, um, I am helping people engage in like the great resignation really means a lot to me. Um, and I am I am making sure I'm I'm on the warpath now because I do believe that stepping away from a career is not necessarily bad when it fits your lifestyle. And I was talking to someone today and I said, you know, what you're talking about right now is not like, oh, I just want to spend time on my babies. You're you're creating a lifestyle job, a job that funds your lifestyle yeah. rather than, well, I got to do this nine to five and I got to do it for 20 years in order to earn respect to my industry and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you're doing the thing that you need to do. And you're going to do a, a part time thing and you live on less and you do less. But it's more meaningful because the meaningful thing is this other thing over here. And you're so good at what you do at work. Like we will definitely do the part time thing if that's what you need to do. Because the thing you do part time is invaluable, so I, I really do. I, I want people. I want people to just be in jobs that fund their lives and not pretend like their job is their life, because it's not. It's not. Well, it's just you know I I've been um, experiencing this a bit with Everly, where I just I don't want to miss it. You know, and I, this is one thing where I'm like I'm kind of glad that I. And in one sense, I think this is one of the the benefits of being an older parent is I have a little bit of just I'm not saying that like I'm younger parents don't do this, but just this is more coming from Luke Carey. If I had a kid at, you know, in 2008 and 
2009 or 10, I would have been on my phone half the time that I was around them. I'm already on my phone half the time that I'm around her. But, like, I really would be, though. Like, I really would have been on the phone all the time. And I'm intentionally not with her. Because, not because of the screen time thing, although that is part of it. Honest to God, it's more because I don't, I want to be around her. I just, like, we were, like, um, you know, like, we were doing this thing the other day where, I think she's really smart. It really scares me. She just loves to um, manipulate the world around her. And that includes people. So that's cool. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we're doing this thing where I was uh, going, like, ouch. And she just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And I just kept going because I love a good laugh. And I was, like, I miss working from home I, I wish i could just like come over come in during lunch and just do this you know i wish i could just come inside and or come downstairs or come out and like just have lunch with her and just like make her laugh and hang on for a bit because it totally it even adds a little bit of perspective to my day which is like it's so easy to get caught up in these things and it's like well this right here this person is what's important I don't know. I really love that girl a lot. Being a dad's awesome. Except for when Being it's a not. dad is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it really that whole like stupid cliche thing is super true. Um all right, I'll I'll get a hold of um Gravaniac. So, cuz I, I don't know. I I've thought about this a little bit. I, I actually talked to Aaron a while ago after Thanksgiving we went down her aunt and her uncle's house and I said like ask her if she would ever want to own land how I was just thinking more of like a vacation home, just having something kind of like, just have like a simple um, place we could go to, or we could, you know, perhaps like going on with like her siblings or do it with mine. And just a place where we just, we just go to for like on vacation and people can, you know, or like for the holidays or something like that. And now, and there have times where I've thought like, I miss in Idaho that there's a, there's just this thing where it's like, it all fits in together with what you're doing. That everything else just feels like a sh- just kind of like a smorgasbord of stuff. But I, but our big thing is like I want to be a half hour from stuff. You know, like we're like we're gonna go see Hamilton. I want to be able to go see Hamilton. You know, I'll be able to go in town and be able to go see Hamilton. Uh, what if we started like Captain Fox's farm and we made other people do it and we just podcast it? What if we came up with some physical fitness thing that had absolute, absolutely no staying power, but we did it just to get new Apple watches and have it be a write-off? <laughs> Is life really a should gift? Right? Benedict should we, says should, so. Should, should we do that? Yes. Uh, we can do it. We can do it. Athletic Green sponsored catching boxing. And we're getting hit. Mm, hmm. Should I buy a Apple watches? <laughs> Survey says, <laughs> "Bing!" <laughs> All right, Luke. God bless. All right, I'll buy an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> BetterHelp.com/slash Foxes Athletic Greens and CatholicMatch.com. Thank you for sponsoring this show. <laughs>